Welcome to the Barfly Podcast Season 2. My name is Jeff Burkhart, Barfly columnist for the Marin IJ and author of the book 20 Years Behind Bars and its newly released sequel, 20 Years Behind Bars, Volume 2, Parole Denied. Today, my co-host is Kevin Blum, Community Director for the online review site, Yelp. Welcome, Kevin. So don't worry about tomorrow, take it for today, forget about the chat, we'll get hell to pay, have a drink on me. Today, we're chatting with David Landis, president of Landis Communications, one of the Bay Area's and actually the country's most successful PR firms. And when he's not busy being a PR star, David is also the Gay Gourmet, a terrific foodie column for the San Francisco Bay Area Time. We wanted to talk to David today about Pride Month and some of his favorite LGBTQ-owned restaurants in the Bay Area. One of the things that's so great about your column, David, is that you don't just highlight new restaurants, you really put your attention to those that are tried and true, that have stood the test of time. One of the things I admire about your column is, is the idea that uh, it's not just what's bright, shiny, and new. It, you, you really talk about these restaurants that have been around for a long time and have been doing a good job who don't get the, all that credit in all the local publications. And that, I think, is something that needs to be said because there are a lot of people who have been doing a great job for a long period of time who now just get ignored as if they're not doing anything. Thank you, Jeff and Kevin, because I really take pride in the fact that I want to shine a light on restaurants that have stood the test of time. They're the ones that customers keep returning to, but they don't get a lot of love from the Chronicle or other media outlets because, you know, it's not newsworthy, quote unquote. What's newsworthy is the latest chef opening a new restaurant. And so I really took that to heart when I started the Gay Gourmet column for the San Francisco Bay Times and really tried to, you know, like I went to Original Joe's and I went to uh, the Cliff House and I went to really tried and true places, the House of Prime Rib, places that don't always get a lot of attention in the media. So now with Pride coming up, it really is a chance to revisit some of those chestnuts that are my favorites that have been around. And I think at the top of my list would be Asia SF. I don't know if you guys have been there or I think, listener. David, I think I once had dinner with you there. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's owned by Larry Hashbarger. It's more than 20 years old. It was really the first transgender bar and restaurant in the country at a time when nobody knew what transgender was. People made fun of transgender people. They had incredible intolerance and prejudice. And I remember Larry came to me. Larry used to work at Macy's at special events. And he said, I want to give these people a chance to shine and feel good about themselves. And most importantly, give them a job. And he has done that. It's, uh, you know, for those that haven't been, it's a an incredible restaurant, which with a really lovely fusion, Asian fusion menu, but then the waitresses who are all transgender get up on the Red Dragon bar and perform and they lip sync to these songs and dance. And so it's like dinner and a show for the price of a dinner. I've taken some people out of town guests there and didn't let them in on what was going on. 
they they're like, oh wow, she's a very attractive waitress, and now she's walking on the bar and lip syncing. They have no idea that that's actually a man. What I love about San Francisco and what I love about Larry's restaurant and why Asia SF has survived so long is we take we really put a stake in the ground and say we are going to try to be respectful of everyone. We don't always succeed, but I think you know Asia SF represents everything good about San Francisco. And whenever I have out-of-towners, that's one of the first places that I bring them because it's so unique. And also the food is really good, great cocktails. They had some award for their wine list too. I forget what it was, but so that's one of my favorites. Another one that I like in the Castro is Matt Schuster's restaurant. It's called Canela, which is Spanish for cinnamon. And it has some of the best tapas, some of the best gazpacho, white gazpacho soup. He has the Iberico ham, uh, and he cuts it to order for each order. He's doing really amazing things with to-go and meal kits and paella kits to-go, and he's definitely going to try. He's hoping that the city will allow him to expand his outdoor dining so that he can open, reopen right around the mid-June timeline. Asia SF, as you said, hits. That's certainly one of my all-time favorite restaurants. That's it hits on every every cylinder, and it's incredibly unique, which is one of those things that just screams San Francisco to me. You know, I do the same thing. I take out of towners there, and they love it, even though they don't really get what's going on. All of a sudden, they kind of do at the end, which is amazing. And you know what? They get in the spirit of it, which is let's all have fun together. Let's not judge people. Let's have fun and enjoy a good meal and have a couple of cocktails. And, you know, it's, it's just great. I remember, so I took my niece, Jessica, who's now an actress in Chicago there when she was, I think she was 16, you know, probably I shouldn't have taken her there when she was 16, but oh, well, and <laughs> she didn't drink, she didn't drink. But anyway, one of the uh, waitresses came up, her name was Kitty Litter. And Kitty Glitter said to Jessica, God love her, what would you like to drink? And Jessica said, I'll have a Coke. And without missing a beat, Kitty Litter said, will that be liquid or solid? (laughs) (laughs) You can just see my niece, you know, she didn't quite understand it. And then all of a sudden the smile broke across her face. And I thought, this is a life lesson. But, you know, that reminds me, David, that this is why, you know, it... When you go to a restaurant, it's not just about the food. It's about the experience. And that's part of the experience. You remember that. You're not talking about like the dish that you had. You're talking about the experience that you shared with the server with Jessica. And that's what I think people are missing right now. There's also a difference between kitsch and actual originality, right? I mean, Rainforest Cafe, those types of things, that's kitsch. That's different. This is a whole unique thing that really just screams individuality, which is, you know, what what it's all about. Well, and that's also why, like, one of my other favorite gay-owned restaurants is Brenda's French Soul Food in the Tenderloin. Yeah, yeah. And Brenda, I think it's Buena Viage. I'm not, I might not be pronouncing it correctly. The reason it's so good is it is authentic. Her food is some of the best Southern cooking you'll have anywhere, some of the best Creole, New Orleans style cooking, and it feels like going into your mom's kitchen. It's just, 
fantastic. And everybody's having a good time, to your point, Kevin. It's the conviviality of it. It's the social aspect of it. That's great. And and, um, any other that's high on your radar right now? Well, a couple of things that I would say, since this is the Barfly podcast, one of my other favorites is the Oasis, which is the big drag club south of Market. They do Star Trek and drag, and they do Sex in the City and drag. And right now they're doing it online. So please support them. They do a great job. Darcy Drollinger is the owner. And it's just a fun time. I love musical Mondays at the edge in the Castro because you can go and belt out a Broadway tune. (laughs) Um, At Bo's or Bo on Market Street, they have a jazz happy hour on Thursdays when they're open. So that's always kind of fun. And then the one that is really deserves a, a shout out is one of the oldest gay bars in the city. It's Twin Peaks. And it is historical because it was, I believe, the first gay bar in the country that had plate glass windows. So for those of our friends who are straight, that was something that was not typical in the 60s because people were afraid of going out and being outed as gay. But the, the Twin Peaks, which is right on the corner of Castro and Market, was the very first gay bar to say we're proud of who we are and we're going to show people that we're normal human beings who like to have a martini just like everybody else. So that's another one of my favorites. It's unfortunate that that this this whole, I mean, for a lot of reasons, this pandemic is unfortunate, but one of the things is it's going to impact Pride Month. And, you know, a lot of these restaurants that are owned by uh, your, your community are, are going to be d- deeply affected by that because that is a big moneymaker for them that can help sustain them. It's just, it, it breaks my heart to see that happen. But that's one of the downfalls of the, or the drawbacks of the restaurant business is you are at the mercy of what happens. And sometimes you, you can do everything right and still have bad things happen. So I, do you have any uh, ideas how this is going to affect the restaurant business by not really having large crowds for Pride Month? Well, uh, that's a great segue to something that I wanted to do a little shout out, believe it or not, for one of our clients which is a nonprofit that serves people with HIV and AIDS and mental health issues. It's called PRC. They do the Pride Brunch kickoff for Pride. And Pride this year is going virtual. And the Pride Brunch kickoff has always been hosted by Donna Sachet, famous drag uh, celebrity in town, and Gary Virginia. And this Pride Brunch is going to go virtual, and it's going to be a cook-off between Donna Sachet and Gary Virginia. So actually, even though you can't go out in person, there are these virtual events that help sustain and support the community and help the restaurants. So restaurants are working, for instance, with PRC on the Pride Brunch, and they benefit from it. It's not like going to a, a restaurant when you're you know, going to the Pride Parade, but it is one way that you actually can still help the community. And we're going to have to, uh, all of us are going to have to pitch in and help all of our communities because it's going to be necessary. The first people that are going to really struggle are these more mom and pop organizations. The large chains probably have more money, are going to be able to sustain themselves to downturn, but the mom and pop ones are the ones that really need your help. Absolutely. You know, I was talking with Matthew Acarino, who's the chef at SPQR, another favorite of mine. And he told me, let me just get the numbers right. He said 
the real elephant in the room is that restaurants cannot survive with 40 to 70% less revenue. And this is what we're facing. So, you know, for a small restaurant like his, which if you've been there, I don't know, maybe he has 10 tables or something small, like that. Very small. Yeah. How is he going to survive with 70% less revenue and bring his staff back? All that reopening does is turn over the hourglass because now we're all on the clock. Time is running out. And like you said, a restaurant is designed not to be sustained on, on 20% or 30% occupancy. That's what happens now is there will be no relief. It's really going to be a tough six to eight weeks, I think, here. I do think that, uh, you know, to end on a more positive note, what <laughs> I do think is that because of the creativity of our restaurant community and our amazingly innovative chefs, they're going to continue with the takeout and the meal kits and all that. And that's going to be a whole separate revenue stream that doesn't have the expense factor that in, in-house dining does. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to figure out that fine balance between in-house and takeaway that's going to sustain them until we have a vaccine, or that's my hope. Well, amen to that. Uh, let's, let's hope. I, I, there are a lot of these things right now, like we were talking about with these platforms like Zoom and stuff like that, it's just the new normal. And whether it, it, you can resist it all you want, but it's going to be here to stay. And uh, I think with the food kits and some of these other marketing, promotional, operational ideas, they're going to be here to stay. So we got to go with that. We do. We definitely do. And the other thing I want to say is support your local restaurants. You know, don't just cook at home. Really if you want this sector to survive and thrive, we all have to help out and whatever, you know, you don't have to go to an expensive restaurant, go to your neighborhood restaurant and make sure you're supporting them because that's what will make a difference. Worry about tomorrow, take it for today. Please join us next time when we welcome chef, cookbook author, educator, and James Beard Award winner, Joanne Weir. My name is Jeff Burkhart. Thanks for listening. Have a drink on me.